Hello ladies and gents, you're listening to Riffs and Scripts. My name is Cole Bryant. My name is Amber. Hello. Um, how are you today, Cole? I'm alright. I'm in my pyjamas on a Thursday evening, which is pretty much all you can expect from life, really. I mean, I forgot it was Thursday. <laughs> is it Thursday? It is Thursday, now no, you're f- completely now, right. I'm questioning no, right. myself now. No, I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm alright. I'm, uh, I'm chilling out. I've currently got a little bit of time off, so... Um, I've been playing computer games and eating chicken, which has been really good. Have you noticed that our jobs always swap? When I'm not working, you seem to be working loads. And now that yep. you've got your time off, it's me going back to teaching in person after yep. after teaching from home for a while. <sighs> it's fun and games. The life is not, not, not serendipitous in that way. You know, we, we don't seem to, to link up. But um, I'm very glad to be recording yet another wonderful, delicious podcast with you. Yeah. Obviously, to see your smiling face. I don't know how to... I, I tried to think of a way to make a sound effect for a smiling face. Should have been like, ding, but I, I didn't think of it. I'm, it's all right. I'm sorry. I'll put it in the edit. It'll be fine. Oh, of course you will. Always, you'll always put it, it in the, the edit. edit. I could do it. We'll just work it out in the edit, man. I feel like if we ever get oh, to a man. point of making merch, we're going to have something that's like you saying, I'm going to put that in the edit. Yeah, I'll put it in the edit, mate. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do you know what? That's actually a really good pet peeve that I can talk about later. But you've just hinted at that. And that'll be... That's just a little bit of foreshadowing for the episode for people uh, listening. Um, Today, we're talking about getting the gig. Getting Getting the the gig. gig. That's the the general thematic title for today. Yeah, I don't know about you. I'm sure it'll be similar. But there's not a cookie cutter answer. There's not a, this is how you get work booked. So that's the idea. Yeah. By getting the gig, we mean how do you actually get yourself booked to do yeah. music or acting? So, Cole, yeah. do you want to go first? What's one of the main ways that you get a gig? Man, it's 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 weird. Um, so being an originals band, it's different to being a covers band for one thing. If I was a covers band, I could probably just book a lot more shows in just random little pubs and expect people to, to, to want to put me on because they know that when you put a covers band on, people are going to want to listen to it because it's things that they already know. We've talked about that before. People like things yeah, that they already yeah. know. It's a whole under, underlining thing. But um, it's interesting as an originals band. It's a different experience. You have to already have a little bit of notoriety most of the time that will just find people who are willing to be generous enough to put an unknown band on Uh, i've been lucky that i've not had that kind of struggle with uh my band in kind of recent years because we made enough of a name for ourselves that um we we already had you know a bit of currency our name okay so let's i'm gonna make you i'm gonna make you slow down how do yeah. you get the how do you get the rep? How do you get the name for yourself then? Man, that's the thing. It's like uh it's it's a cycle because the only way to get a rep for yourself is to get on shows and get seen in front of people. But you just um, said the way the to internet, get seen is to have a rep. Like exactly, this is the issue. Exactly. It's like exactly. when we're all it's, first applying for thing. jobs. When everyone's first applying for jobs when they're like eighteen and it's like we're looking for people with more experience. And it's like, well I'm yes. trying to get the experience. I can't get experience because you won't give me a job and that's precisely it now with the advent of the internet that's a bit of a different case of affairs um the problem is when people are starting out you know you don't necessarily know if you want to 
if you want to put invest that much time and money into your online presence because you're not really sure yet if you're, you're putting the feelers out most of the time for most people at least when you're a bit older and you're you're putting a new new act together maybe you are sure of what you want to be doing so you're ready to put a bit of online promotion in and put the money into getting some really decent recordings and decent videos but for a lot of people when you're starting out you're not ready to do that you're still kind of working out is this something that is kind of viable for me is this going to be enjoyable for me um, and really you've got to find the joy in it anyway because you're not going to make a lot of money out of it most likely but um, getting gigs so part of that is again having a bit of a rep because having a bit of a rep means that uh, people talk to each other about you without you even being involved and so again thing, I don't feel mouth. like you've answered the question to get the rep I know what do you do do you go to okay. battle of the bands here's, open mic nights pub nights like how did you get your rep I tell you what what happened with us and what happens with most bands is you've just got to get on bills. You've got to be the first band on for as many shows as you can, preferably in a local area and then spreading out. If you don't spread out, then you'll never you'll never get anywhere because you can't make the, 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 the number of fans that you want to make if you're just touring around the same small circuit. You've got to be the first band on for a load of other bands. Now, we were really lucky that there was a really good battle of the bands that happened quite early on for us, which was Metal to the Masses, which I've talked about before. And that took our rep from, like, nothing to through the roof in, 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 in Oxford because basically no one had really heard from us in Oxford um, until we did that first couple of heats. But the main thing is you've got to get in front of people and you've got to network with people. So you've got to be willing to be that first band on who aren't getting any money. Typically, the first band on don't get paid um, at all. And then if you're higher up, hopefully you can get paid for a bit of petrol. Um, the main thing is if the punters aren't there, then the promoter's not going to give you any cash for, for and being then, there. And then so you've gone, to, you've gone to a local venue. Someone has agreed to put you on an opening slot where you're not making much money. Yeah. What else do you do? Do you do you hand out CDs? Do you say, "Hey, here's our Facebook"? What what do you? What, oh do you, yeah, That's you can't a whole just part play and then leave, can you? Your network. No, no, you've got to have, you've got to, for one thing, you've got to have a good front man who's going to be willing to plug your stuff. That's like hugely important because nowadays an online presence is a hugely important part of uh, of being in a band, um, and you need to be willing to talk to people after shows. It's quite interesting because. Um, the idea that we have in our heads is is of um, bands being a little bit aloof and a little bit mysterious. Um, certainly, if you think of those big superstars, you think about, you know, like David Bowie or something. You can't imagine David Bowie coming off afterwards and then saying, hi, mate, yeah, do you want to book us for a gig sometime? Do you enjoy the show? Yeah, yeah do you like it? You know, uh, interestingly, it's uh, the nature of, of live music in the 21st century has meant that uh, the barrier between the fans and the band disappears now in some ways that's pretty good but in some ways it means you can't create that kind of mystique that kind of sense of otherness that kind of sense of something strange and unusual maybe a bit dangerous um about about bands and and, and musical performers unless you've got massive financial backing and you can get somewhere without having to do those little shows but that's really all down to luck really it's it's very odd um, the way that social media happens for bands because I know for a fact um, that my own personal Facebook when I still had it was just full of people that I had just bumped into at gigs and people people weirdly treat musicians the only kind of allegory I can think of it is like Pokemon people love adding musicians on Facebook so that they can talk to them 
and um, feel involved, which is really nice for yeah. fans. It's really yeah. cool. But at the same time, it, it creates this kind of strange um, uh, relationship. Whereas, are you a fan? Are you like a friend of mine? What's happened there? And I have loads of mates who I've made through being fans of the band. But at the same time, you meet masses of people um, who all kind of want to know you, which is nice, but still kind of weird. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Okay, cool. Yeah. So you've got a local rep. You've done all the little gigs. You've got people downloading things online or following you online. And, you're, and you've yeah. got a local reputation. So then what do you do? You've got to keep going. You've got to find the big cities. Um... Big city. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, big city. By big da, cities, da, da. I, you know, mean Manchester or somewhere, yeah. or you know, I mean everywhere. To be honest, we we've played literally all over the UK, um, everywhere. You need to find the kind of local bands that are doing all right from there. And usually, if you do enough gigs, you kind of get in touch with some touring bands, and you build a few friendships and relationships with uh, people in other bands, and they say, "Hey, why don't we do like a mini tour together?" And we'll play this place where you headline, this place where you headline, and this place where you headline, because this is your stomping ground. So you'd be the headliner there, we'd be the headliner there, and then we'd be the headliner there. Makes sense. So you do a bit of that. Um, you you just got to keep booking gigs. You got to keep booking gigs and be willing to be the first band on, even after even after you've been playing your local stomping ground for ages, and you know people turn up, and you can just pull a big old crowd, and you don't have to to support anyone else, even if you can be the headline slot. In like, for instance, for us in Oxford, we can just book a slot in Oxford as a headline slot. That'll be fine, you know. But if we're thinking about, I don't know, Manchester or somewhere, you've got to be willing to go right back down to to be lower on the bill until you've done enough of the UK enough times that people will just turn up to see you all mm. over the place. Which is kind of before the end of um, twenty nineteen. That was where my band uh, had got to. We we could book a show pretty much anywhere in the UK, uh, except maybe Northern Ireland, I suppose, and people will turn up, you know? Yeah. People turn up with a T-shirt. And that was, that was to me, that was a huge achievement in, in itself. That was something I wanted to do since I was 16. And to be able to just book a show somewhere and have people turn up, pretty much regardless of where you go, from Edinburgh down to Plymouth, you know, that's an awesome that's thing. That's great. I think also you've touched on something that I didn't think we'd talk about, but now that I've thought of it, of course we will, is... Working for free is... Oh, now, yeah. there's two sides to this coin. When you are new, it, absolutely, it's more important for you to get the experience than anything yeah. else. Go do cheap shit Shakespeare because you're still learning some yeah. Shakespeare and you you can learn from those mistakes and you can build up a CV. Um, mm. Working for free is also, from my perspective, a great way to meet agents because yep. an agent gets sent so many unsolicited mm. messages from actors saying, I, I really love an agent. Um, so the best thing you can do is offer them to come and see you in something. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a bare minimum now. So working for free can give you that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, tell, I tell you what, there's 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 a fantasy thing. Just, just before we go on, there's a fantasy thing that we have in our head that there are going to be reps for record labels there. And you quickly yeah. realise that that is not a thing anymore. They don't do it. They haven't done it since like the early 2000s. They just don't do it because they don't see being in a band as really that like profitable a thing. Oh, so wow. get it out of your head. Get it out of your head. There's no chance. I've done so many gigs where I've I've played to, to hundreds of people um, 
and people have said, yeah, it's just about it's just about making sure you know the right night with the right person there. And I'm like, it doesn't really happen. You need some kind of other connection. Or you a bit also, of cash. or or you just need to manufacture it. You need oh, to yeah, invite yeah. the people there. I think that yeah, you can get from my perspective as an actor, you can get agents, casting directors, head of departments to come and see mm. you in a show for the sake of building a relationship with you. What's not going to happen is the following two options. What's not going to happen is you do a show and someone from the back comes up to you and yeah. is like, you're amazing, I need, I'm going to change Doesn't your happen. life. And the other thing that's not going to happen is the exposure to be enough on its own. If I, I, hmm. if I messaged um, the head of the Royal Shakespeare Company and said, oh, I did this Shakespeare show at the Fringe, chances are she's not seen it. Unless I have specifically, yeah. it's never going to happen where they go, oh my gosh, I heard that that independent, low budget student production was really original and groundbreaking. And just mm. based off its reputation, I want you to work with me. Yeah, That's yeah. not going to happen. If you do want to make, to, to, you know, get some recognition, you have to manufacture it. You have to invite, you have to invite a hundred people mm. for one to maybe show up. Yeah. That's just how and it you goes. Have, you have, you have to prove to be able to prove to people you can do it on your own. No one's going to pay attention to you unless you've got a million hits on something. That's kind of a general idea. Yeah, I guess that's But again, true. oddly enough, there's a guy who, who did manufacture that and proved it doesn't even work when you do that. There was a guy called Jared Threetin. That isn't his real name, I'm sure. Um, who, who basically paid for a buttload of views on stuff and... It, it's really weird. You should just Google him. And he made out that he was on this massive world tour and he'd edited all these all this footage so it looked like thousands of people were at his shows. And then if you actually look at it, you realise he's not standing in front of anyone. Yeah. And it was like this thing that, that he, he promised um, thousands of people would be at his shows and he would do a UK tour and, um, and loads of people would be there. And he got these support bands on and they were like, They'd come up, there'd be no one in the room. It's really look worth looking up, Jared Threeton. And he did he did this tour and the tour like loads of stuff went wrong and it all, all fell apart. And then he finished it up in the underworld, I think. And uh or World's End, whatever it is. And um They're part oh, of the same yeah, building. No one turned cool. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's mad. It's really funny. Just look it up. It's really weird. And this guy's got this you know, people people delude themselves as well. But, you know, tell I me mean, about... I mean, look, um, you've got to throw mud. That's what my mum says. Throw enough mud and some of it will stick. So don't... We're not saying give up on it. We're saying let go of this fantasy that yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't really exist. Um, no, but yeah, just, just before before I go into just how I personally got there, I do want to just talk about my stance on working for free. Because yeah, do it, do actors, it, do it. and I'm sure musicians as well, but actors are pushed to work for free so much so mm. much you need okay my friend phrased it really well she said there are th that picture three things you need to tick two of them um one is creative development so if they're not paying you you're learning something or traveling somewhere or you know you're getting something out of it uh two mm. is pay Shit, I can't actually remember the third one. <laughs> is three is three some kind of notoriety or something or uh, um yeah or like advances you in some way yeah pushes you forward or like yeah but my point is there needs to be something that you gain from it yeah yeah after a certain point when you are brand new I'll be honest yeah you should work for free a, a little bit. 
but it should be for people that really do need um that do need the cheap work so students going to edinburgh and stuff i can understand that uh local community theater um you know I, I, local panto at the library and things like that i i can understand that but even then i reached a point personally where i don't i don't regret any of the jobs i've done for free but what i did a lot was i went to a university that wasn't a performing arts school but had incredible extracurricular drama societies and stuff so what you learned there was how to put on your own work and that's up we mm. can have a whole episode on that i guess for you it's very similar yeah, yeah. but how to put on your own work so when i graduated from uni i constantly had friends who had been on my course who had started their own theater company yeah. and could did i want to be in their first second third shows and at the time I really did and I loved it especially the first one because I thought that we were all in it together forever mm. and that when there was success for the company I would share in that success but unfortunately that isn't how it works a theatre mm. company couldn't feasibly be loyal to all of us that were in their first show and anyone mm. who was in another show after that but then at the same time I do feel like they owe me at least a little bit of loyalty at least a little bit of yeah. keep me involved or or support me in some way, you know. And after a while, I realised this is not the communal, like, all for one and one for all group that I thought mm. it was. And that's okay, that. but I need to be aware of that. And then I've, mm. and I've had others. I've had others where I've worked for free to do their shows. And I'm personally, A, I've reached a point. I have to remind you guys, I'm like six years out of uni. I'm not 21 saying, okay, I'm never doing that again. But I've reached a point where a lot of the time I feel like the most mature experienced person in the room yeah. and I find that exhausting and I sometimes get um, impatient or, or end up bickering like I did a show again it was a guy who I was friends with before uni he started his own theatre company was putting a show on in London did I want to be in it sure thing mate and I did it and they were so irresponsible with with any stage safety like yeah a rug that wasn't taped down, like telling someone to fall backwards onto someone else's lap. I was like, it's I'm sorry, how are you going to make sure that he doesn't headbutt your kneecap? How are you going to make sure he yeah. lands safely? And it was all like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So sometimes I feel like the, I'm, I'm a bit too experienced for that that level now. But then also, it gets really emotionally draining, putting your time and effort, and f the facts are, time is money. You booking yeah. two days off your day job so that you can rehearse. That's you giving up money to go and do their yeah. show. You are paying to do their show. And when you do it thinking that you're friends and thinking that you're all in it together, and then they do something that shows that, no, 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 they really did just want the free acting off you. Um, I've done shows where I, I'm going to chalk this up to inexperience on their part, but they openly said we're a not-for-profit company. Which meant, yeah, the people running it, they weren't paying themselves yet. And any money they made did go back into the theatre. And I, and at the time, I was okay with that. But I've kind of looked back and gone, no offence, a not-for-profit company still pays for the workers. Yeah. So I'm at a stage where I just um, find it... I, I don't have much to gain from it anymore. And I did mm. once, and I don't anymore. And that's okay. So, sorry, that was a really long tangent. But working no, for free... Cool 
working for free at the beginning is great and working for free when there really is something to gain from it if you need more footage yeah. if you need more footage of yourself yeah go and do someone's film school um final project that's a big one to get footage but even then make sure it's a part where you have lines make sure it's a part that works for you and make sure they give you the goddamn footage afterwards because they don't mm. always and even then they should minimum be paying your expenses yeah. so that's how i feel about it there comes a point where if you keep selling yourself short you're never going to progress man do you know do you know what listening to all of that is just like such a uh like i totally totally understand that the reason why my band took a break at the end of 2019 before everyone else had to take a break anyway is because we were absolutely sick of the lifestyle that we were having to to do right so we there is no guidebook to being in a band there's no 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 guidebook and anyone who gives you advice is usually either not quite sure of what they're talking about themselves or they've got you know they they want something from you and there's so many shysters around with bands but we basically we did something like 30 shows last year which isn't like crazy amounts compared to other bands but it's like it's a lot of shows you know that's Two most of weekends yeah like maybe a few weekends having, having a few breaks if you think about it this way right if, if 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 just in terms of money say i'm um doing we all we all live in different places say i'm doing a, a weekly rehearsal now flat out that already cost me some for a three hour rehearsal that'll cost me about 36 pounds right which we divide them on the band so with four band members then you know it's not not crazy money but then mm. think about the petrol just for going to gigs mm-hmm. eating on the way because you've mm-hmm. got to make sure you get food then you're gonna play go there at like maybe four in the afternoon or, or at least leave but by like two o'clock in the afternoon you'll get there you'll come home probably three or four o'clock in the morning right you spent loads of money and maybe you've got petrol money out of it, but a lot of the time you won't have got any money other than the money that you've made selling merch, which in itself costs you money to get. Yeah. And the money that you're going to profit from the selling of the merch, is it, what, what's it going to cover? It goes straight back into the band. So we've been able to not do any gigs this year or, or, or in 2020, we've been able to not do any gigs and had plenty of money in the bank to just run all the standard stuff like the website and the, the merch company that we used to do merch and stuff like that. But we basically realised at the end of 2019 that we had to completely radically change because we were spending masses of money for barely anything back and we weren't utilising our resources in the perfect way because there is such an expectation for bands to be doing stuff for free for a really long time. Yeah. And the, on, the, only, the only way you can progress is to, is to ask for money. But when you ask for money, people just say no to your gigs and it's really hard to get booked for gigs. Yeah. I knew bands who would ask for two grand for a headline slot somewhere who were going pretty good, but basically they ended up just stopped doing gigs because people won't pay two grand for a band, you know? Unless it's unless it's um, a tribute band or a covers band who are doing some kind of really long established thing, so it's do you, so difficult. Do you, okay, so I'm getting confused. Do you and um, get maybe it could be either or, but I, by the sounds mm. of it, there's the option where you pay the venue, but then you keep your ticket money and merch money. Yeah, minus maybe a percent for the venue as well. Then there'll be some where the venue pays you a set fee, and then they keep the ticket money. Okay, so what generally happens? 
is um, there are certain venues that will make sure that their weekdays are open for bands and they'll tend to do club nights on the Saturday nights, maybe. Or they'll do club nights after bands have finished and things like yeah. that. So yeah, they'll have a those. free space and they'll have um, a local promoter who, who's generally someone who likes booking bands. Now, either the promoter is paying a fee to the venue to have the have the venue for that night or if you're lucky then they're not which is great because then like it's just less money that gets taken away from everyone else now when you do that a promoter say say they're paying 200 quid for a venue for the night it means that just to cover the the venue fee uh, you have to get plenty of bodies in the door anyway say if you're charging five quid on mm. the door for a show um that's already what 50 is it 50 people or 20 40 people 40 people for for five pound on the door so you know it's really hard to get people to spend money anymore it's a really really big like thing it's really tricky that's why so many people do uh, free on the door shows and they get um and they get bands selling merch but the the numbers generally just don't work out bands aren't pulling enough people generally yeah you know um it's only the biggest bands that are that are able to pull enough people to cover a venue for a night. But my question is, you know? my question is about how, what your deal with the venue is, usually. What's okay, usually sorry. the deal with the venue? Usually, um, we go out and we take, okay, we're going to say we need X amount for fuel. And then, um, you know, if you get more off of the door, then we'll take the largest cut if we're the biggest band or a smaller cut if we're, a, okay. if we're the, uh, if we're the so support a, band. An expense fee, let's say. Plus a cut of the tickets. That's exactly it, yeah. So I started off as a kid in Panto. That was my origin story. But um, basically, I went to a a weekend, like, stage school. And they had a child agency attached to it. So I, I, again, like, this is the thing. Loyalty doesn't come as easily as people might think. I went to Mm. this stage school for over 10 years. In fact, between the ages of four and like 18. So that's 14 years. Paying for classes every mm. week. Look, paying for classes, yeah. no one owes me shit. I paid for a class I was enjoying and I gained skills. So like, that's fine. But it's more about the longevity of it. So I was yeah. there for all those years. As a child, they, they attached me to their agency as well. So I was kind of... And my parents were great with having a kid who did performing because I just felt like I was enjoying myself. They never turned it into a chore. It happened once yeah. or twice when, like, they'd get impatient with me over something. But it was rare. It was very rare. So what that meant was I, yeah, I was a kid who did panto. So my first ever performance was at Jackson's Lane in Highgate of Dick Whittington. And they had mm. loads of little kids who could dance, doing a handful of routines and costume changes and the, the finale and stuff. And it was great. So I did that a couple of times with different theatres through through them. And, and yeah, I didn't land any of the big gigs, but I was getting sent to audition for hmm. all the big child parts at the time. Now, this is years oh, before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. This is years before Matilda the Musical came out. And me and the girl whose mum owns the stage school, who's a couple of years younger than me, we ran into each other and we were one. We were like, how much do you wish Matilda the Musical existed when yeah. we were kids? Because we would have been all over it. Because we were yeah. musical theatre children. So I yeah I had multiple auditions for Lamez to play Corsette, Corsette, and oh, um, right. that is one of the times that I found it exhausting. 
because I, I was yeah, making I, I was making a mistake and I couldn't quite work it out. And I think the issue was my mum told me I was flat and I got flat and sharp mixed up because I was a kid. So the more I tried to yeah. correct it, the more flat I went. And yeah. I, I, I auditioned for it so many times that genuinely Castle on the Cloud is a song I will never enjoy again. Because that's oh, the little girl no. song in Les Mis. I auditioned for Chitty Bang Bang. Wonder why, because no offence, they're little blonde white kids and I'm a brown girl. <laughs> but, you know, cool. Good for yeah. them, good for them, getting me involved. Um, so, yeah, I did loads of those auditions, got parts in Panto and got parts in TV and film through that agency. What The part that disappointed me was, yeah, after so many years, I remember one day turning to my agent because she was at the classes. I was still going to the classes. And I was like hey, are you still sending me for things? Because I haven't had an audition in a while. Mm. And she went, well, no. And I was like, sorry, what? She said, well, you're not a child anymore. She was like, you're 15. You've got braces. You've got, a, you, you've hit puberty. Like you're over five foot. Like you don't. And I remember thinking, I get that, but someone could have told me. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, you know, come and let's talk about me joining the adult agency. But her her attitude was just because you're on the kids agency doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on the adults agency so then I mm. went off to university and when I when I was at uni I probably had more experience than most 18 year olds that were there because at this stage I've worked in theater film and yeah. television um yeah. but then when I graduated uni it was as if I was back at zero with everyone else yeah. and all that yeah. all those years kind of they didn't vanish because they still get noted, but they are just a part of the CV now and that's it. Yeah. Apart from that, they've not done me a huge amount of favours. Mm. So then when I finished uni, that was the whole working for free, friends doing theatre companies, all the fringe festivals that I've talked about, loads. That happened for a couple of years. And as I said to you earlier, it's a chance to invite people to see your show. I've realised yeah. I'm actually quite good at networking. I kind of didn't realise mm. how good I'd gotten at it. But, um, oh yeah, to be fair as well, no, I want to give credit to another agent I I had right up until the one I signed with this year. And again, it was through a contact. So at these Saturday classes, I had a teacher who was my drama teacher for 10 years and he was my mentor. Like he helped me, he helped me with everything. He taught me so much about acting. And then I went to university, I came back from university and I messaged him and I was like, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> I finished my degree. Mm. I didn't get into drama school yet. So he actually hooked me up with an agent. And I later found yeah. out that that agent, he, they're so close that she used him to go and to go to shows that she couldn't go to, to go and see mm. actors when she didn't couldn't fit it all in her diary. So his recommendation was held very highly to her. So she oh, signed cool. me as soon as I finished uni. And look, I was with her for a good couple of years, we got some great auditions that I didn't get, some one or two that I did get, and a lot that I didn't get. <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I have left with her because I think I found an agent that will really help me take things up a gear. But credit to the woman, man. She like, she she did take me in when I was twenty one and hadn't been to drama school and yeah, didn't really know what yeah. I was doing. So, the a big thing about being seen as an actor, whether we like it or not, is having an agent. Now. Over half of my work as an actor, I have got myself. Really? But, but, oh yeah, 100%. But 
the half that I've gotten through agents has have been the better stuff. Have been yeah. the paid stuff, yeah. the stuff on telly. It's very hard to get work on your own on television. You can go and make friends in theatre the way that bands can make friends and go and socialise at festivals and stuff. And you can socialise at film festivals, but it's just such a long journey to to getting any success out of it. I know that sounds harsh. You've got loads of film students the same way you've got theatre students, I guess. But but getting getting my point is getting like um, an off West End low paid theatre job you can do on your own. A, mm. a tour that's a couple hundred quid a week you can find those people. You can apply directly. You can't go and apply to be on the Crown without an agent. No, it's not going to happen. No. no. So it's it depends on how you want to take it. I know someone. She's a fantastic writer, director, and actor. I've worked with her on multiple shows. She openly says to her agent, "I will take." very low-paid community theatre that I find creatively satisfying over filming for a week on something really basic or or an advert or something and making thousands. And I kind of... And I respect that. I don't necessarily mm. agree with it. I want both. I want mm. both. Yeah. Because getting paid to do your job is something that we get... Yeah, we get told to get used to it. So take the win. Take the win, yeah? For every for every show that you do where you lose money or make nothing or even only get a bit towards your expenses, for every one of those, you are you more than deserve a well-paid job. We should be paid for what we do. And yeah, the, the higher paid, the higher profile stuff is going to be through an agent. Hmm. That's just how it goes. If you are think of it this way, if you were really successful, let's say you are now the head of casting for ITV. That's hmm. a that's a big job and you are busy. You are yeah. so busy. Are you going to spend, are you going to sit up all night um, advertising in lots of different platforms and going through yeah. every individual project, every individual application? No. no, you've got your list of agents that you contact. It's beneficial for them because they make money off, off the casting. Yeah. You send yeah. your details to those agents. You say, give me your best people. Why wouldn't you? So... Yeah. Yeah, an agent, unfortunately, guys, it helps. Agents will push you. Agents will put pressure on you to get new headshots, to learn a new accent. They'll be like, right, what are you doing? What are you doing to push yourself? What are you doing mm. to make this happen? And that can be really great. Or if, That's cool. if if they don't push you, but then you don't do enough, they might leave. They might say, "Why? Yeah. Am I, what, what are we doing this for? So an agent's yeah. a big part of it. Do you ever, do you have to audition as a band? Do you ever have to go and show yourself? Oh, I get um no actually well no I mean your audition is effectively your reputation and uh, and video of you right. basically and your music you know but more important is live video because then people can see that you can work a crowd because actually that's that's a much more important skill really you can yeah. you can get away with like being uh, well that's not quite true I know bands whose music isn't necessarily that inspiring or innovative or or even you know particularly interesting compared to other other bands. But they're tight. That's crazy important. And you got a good front man and they're going to put on a good show and make people want to come and see them again or see whatever the night is again. You yeah. know? So that's that's a really important skill. Your audition is, is basically your um your uh your your live performance online. And in itself a live performance is an audition, you know, because I have to win over those blooming crowds, you know, and that's yeah, hard. Of course, of course. That's that's and that's um I always say that as a front man, you know, 
50% of my job is being musically, you know, on it, being able to sing and being able to be in time and on pitch and do But 50% of the job is being the absolute best front man I can be. And, uh, you know, I, I genuinely think of it like that. It's, it's half of the job is this and half of the job is that. You're, you're your an amazing musician. Yeah, if, 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 if you're an amazing musician, but you have absolutely zero stage presence or ch- charisma of any kind, people are actually going to want to watch that because there's no point in putting it on. You know, mm. there's no point in, in doing that over putting on a CD. Uh, whereas if you're a brilliant stage master person, but everything you do is awful, you know, <laughs> then yeah. people aren't going to want to see that either. So yeah, sure. um, you've got you've to have a mix of both worlds. The internet has changed uh, the nature of, of music and money in music. Um, and genuinely, it's quite horrifying because it used to be that people in bands would go on tour to promote their album and the money that they made would be from the album. Whereas now, you don't make any money at all from uh, being on an album. You have to make all your money from live sales and from basically all bands now are really... Um, kind of t-shirt merchants you know that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's a main main part of how I make money and uh, the way I make money at my gigs is really I put on the headline shows at places where I know there's gonna be fans and then I make sure to bring a buttload of merch uh, that's the that's the only way to really make make some solid cash out of it I'm and not saying... again it doesn't go to you it goes back into the band the the money the money isn't flowing into the music industry like it used to 20 years ago right and um, yeah. part of that means that rather than just making a band, you are making a brand. You no longer have an institution that's full of graphics designers and promoters and uh, and agents and, and people who represent you. You know That doesn't mm. really exist in the same way anymore for the vast majority of musicians. Yeah. You know, now I am someone who... I've got pretty good at graphics design. I'm, I'm good at networking with people. I have buttloads of contacts now on my own. I'm the social media manager of all our stuff, as well as being the main kind of songwriter with Nathan. Me and Nathan are a songwriting partnership, really, but um, uh, as, as being songwriter and performer, you know, and, and suddenly the, the roles have had to expand, and that's partially because money isn't flowing in. Well, then, though, I do know graphics designers who make a massive, great living, mostly yeah. out of people like me who need something done really well. Well, this is the thing. You've touched into another element around getting the gig, and that's just be a jack of as many trades as you possibly can. Oh, yeah. There are so many requirements just to get seen through the door. So I've seen now that when they ask for actors who are also musicians, you have to at least be a grade eight and the piano doesn't count because of how many actors are grade eight piano. So they're having to make it more and more narrow. Or like there was this show that I saw and it was amazing. It was a production of Dracula in Edinburgh by a um, a theatre company called Action to the Word. And they, it was, oh my God, it was just beautiful. And I wanted to run away with them afterwards. I was like, take me with you, please. And it was Mm. Dracula, but with a very steampunk aesthetic. And they did really cool covers of music. I think I mentioned this Mm. on an episode that we we haven't on our like, let's mess around and make sure our mics can work thing (laughs) before we started ever actually recording. But my point is they did these beautiful covers of songs, like while someone was being bitten, a really slow, sexy version of Toxic was playing. But all of them were incredible on like the flute and the cello and so niche and unique and individual. And even that was a fringe show. 
Like mm. they ask for if you're if you can speak a bit of a language, they don't want to know anymore. They'll find someone yeah. who's fluent in that language. The amount of I mean, I love that I can drive. It's not come in handy yet, mainly because you need to be over 25 to do driving stuff yeah. for insurance reasons. And I'm only 26. Oh, of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, you can't do anything to do with cars or alcohol under 25. Like adverts really? and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very strict rules around it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I've got a good number of strings to my bow. I can drive. I can sing. I would not call myself a professional dancer. But I can definitely, if you say, oh, an actor who can dance, an actor who, who can oh, get are a you, Are you an actor who moves well? Is that what you are? Um, I think I'm a step above an actor who moves well. Oh, good. Oh, nice. But I'm definitely not a professional dancer. I wouldn't call myself a triple yeah. threat. Um, so, yeah, it's, but yeah, agents now, when you meet up with an agent, they say to you, what weird shit can you do? Like, genuine, I had an agency meeting where he was like, anything that wouldn't, that would stand out, like, are you good either? Bear. Like a Rubik's cubes <laughs> and things like that. They want to yeah, know yeah, yeah. about it because horse riding. Horse uh, that is on my list. If if lockdown hadn't happened, I was going to try and do a horse riding course this year. Mainly, oh, yeah. I love horses, but I'll be honest with you. May need to add another skill set to my like yeah, life. Yeah. We're talking about making our own work, and I've talked about so many people who set up their own theatre companies. And for some reason, and I've been told I'd be so good at it. I'm organized, I'm creative, I'm hardworking, you know, all of these things. But what you just said about having to really create and commit to a brand, I yeah, just, yeah. I have to do that enough as an actor. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily want to keep doing, because immediately it just takes up so much time and energy. And yeah. money. I it's might, exhausting. I it's might exhausting. offer to produce someone's show. If I had the money... I would gladly say to a theatre company, if I put in this percent of the expenses and get this percent of the tickets, but that's what a producer actually does, yeah. like a professional yeah, yeah, producer. Yeah. So if I got to a stage where I could do that, I would, because I could then pick and choose projects. Whereas the company that did Sweeney, they are branded as a musical theatre company. And the company that I worked with a lot right after uni, they're branded as a new writing company. And, you know, and I just, mm. I just don't personally want to have to do all that. If I'm going to make a brand, I, I it's on my list to make a website about just Amber Sava, where I'll yeah. have loads of acting, I'll have work I've produced. Doing this podcast, I while we've been making our first couple of episodes, I've been learning how to do some basic editing and how to yeah. set up mics. And so that's great. So have as many strings to your bow as you can, is my point. But I just yeah. don't think, my other point is, I just don't really have it in me, at least not at this stage yet to be the one running the company. I want to be someone booked by yeah. lots of different companies. I want that freelance life where someone wants me to do their... Pa and like you said, in 2019, I think I worked more than I've ever worked. And funnily enough, it ties into this conversation because I had a really ugly falling out with some people I worked with who I went to uni with and who I felt had no idea how actors deserve to be treated yeah. and how to run a show. And... Mm. They didn't like my criticism and we and it became very clear that they again had no no loyalty to me whatsoever after working mm. for free for them for months months yeah. yeah um but my point is after that i was a bit like i think i'm done with that level and i think it's a really powerful thing to give yourself permission to not yeah. do a level anymore and then i got medusa and then through medusa i got a panto 
And then Medusa did a second run in early 2020. And even then, my first job out of lockdown was with a guy who worked on Medusa. And I created this really lovely domino effect for myself. And I think a big part of it was the shift I made to go, I'm I'm done with that level. I need I need the next level mm. now. I mean, yeah, that's basically again, just to reiterate, we decided we had to totally rethink what we're doing. Um and I'm I'm really excited for next year, actually. I've never actually looked, but have you got stuff on Spotify and Apple Music that people can just yep. listen to? Do you yep, make yep, money yep, off yep. that? I mean, enough for me to do you know what? Interestingly, Spotify is the third uh, most kind of... We have a lot of platforms, so we're on iTunes and we're on Google Play or whatever the current version is, and uh, we're on Amazon and all these all these different platforms. Uh, yeah. uh, what's the Kanye West one? I think we're even on that one. And um, we're on all of them. And the third highest one we get is Spotify, which you wouldn't think because Spotify pays you, what, 0.00001p per stream. But because... Of just how it's, many people you Spotify. You just, yeah. You, 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 so many people you Spotify and so many people put you in a playlist and listen to you over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, I, I recently uh, looked through, you know how everyone um, at the end of the year gets their Spotify. This is the most, your, the song you listen to most on Spotify. Yeah. Do you, have yeah, you yeah. checked that recently? So artists get that. An artist goes, this is how many streams you got this year. X amount of thousand of streams. Or um, this was your most streamed song, which wasn't a surprise. And um, you've been added to X amount of playlists this year. And people so have listened cute. to you on the trot, boom, 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 this number of times. And that's what actually, you know, that that's really handy because that helps pay for the website to stay up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the money, that the one, we now, we can not worry about having to pay off the website, basically, and, and, and the merch site. The big so cartel at least stuff that we do. You can break even um, because of them. Yeah, we we can now we can now break even. That's actually an achievement. That is an achievement, you know, man. Yeah, like, no small for, for a band. That's that's a lot of a lot of work. And you know, um, when it comes to gig time again, um, we could put on one show and make a buttload of money because we know everyone would turn up because people yeah. would miss us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, people and also, are gonna, people once, are gagging yeah, for something to do. Once, like they are once, thirsty. Once it finishes, we got to be like straight in there because everyone is going to be like, I want to spend all my money going out and getting pissed and seeing things, whatever yeah. those things are. Yeah. So uh, I'm one of those you know, people, man. Yeah. You've got, you've got, uh, I mean, we've all got to do it, but anyone in the creative industry, you and myself included, needs to be ready to be, boom, we need to get this thing going for when that happens. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, I mean, I knew bands who were booking things for August 2020 at the yeah. start of the pandemic. And I was like, that's not going to happen. But the thing is that these bands, you know, they have to because it might happen and it might not. And if yeah. if it does happen, you need to be the guy who's out there making the money. Off Ready the people, for it. You know, I get that. I really do. I mean, it's a fine balance between oh. that because I also know that there are people who back in March had that mentality and they're fucking exhausted now because they've spent all year trying to keep themselves on a knife edge yeah. and it's really yeah. draining. I mean, we've, I um, yeah, we've been just trying to write and get things kind of creatively done in the background. Oh, that's nice. But even that's been hard. Amber, tell me about the different kind of auditions that you have. So it depends on the job. Um, theatre auditions can go in all sorts of directions because the the theatre actors are the kind of hippy dippy ones. Yeah, they're the ones who are trees. 
They're the ones who do weird movement and bizarre warm-ups and massage each other a lot. That's theatre folk. I fucking love them. <laughs> but it, it sometimes means that the audition can take all day. So um, usually for a theatre gig, you get asked to come to a place at a certain time. And it can be any number of things. It can be bring a monologue ready. And sometimes you'll do the monologues one by one in the room in front of everyone. Or you'll all go into the hallway with a little five minute time slot and come in and do your monologue just in front of the panel. And then maybe at the callbacks, do it in front of each other. I think that's yeah. usually quite a common one. Um, but also, theatre auditions can go anywhere as far as weird movement games. They can use, like, Laban and things like that. All sorts of movement artsy stuff can happen with mm. theatre. I mean, you still, don't get me wrong, you still have the ones where you walk in, you sing two minutes of a musical theatre song, you do yeah. 30 seconds of a speech, thank you very much. Like, those exist, but... Yeah. Um, there are much. There are many more different levels and avenues for theatre auditions. Mm. Film auditions, not going to lie, you walk in, you go in front of a camera. Most of the time, most of the time you go in front of a camera, they record what you know, like from the front, from the side, from the profile. You say your name and you do a read with someone stood behind the camera and that's it and it takes five minutes. That um, doesn't actually surprise me from no, what not said at all. in the past. Exactly. And again, I've done that for theatre. I had an audition at the Old Vic And oh my God, that was one of the best days of my life, even though I didn't get the Mm. part, because I love the Old Vic Theatre. I have such Mm. a soft spot for it. So like, even just, and again, this was one of the first auditions I had after uni. So I hadn't gone to drama school yet. I was 21. I had this new agent. She got me an audition at the Old Vic. And I got to um, Waterloo really early. I went and got like a hot chocolate because I got there so early, wanted to warm my voice up. I'd been up Mm. all night practicing the accent that I got asked to do. And then I, I went to the stage door and I buzzed and they let me in and they were like, yeah, we'll show you to the green room. And I was Love like, it. oh my God, I'm going, I'm coming through the stage door of the old Vic. Like That's just awesome. that experience in itself just made me yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Ah! but yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the first round of auditions. And I literally got taken to a specific room when it was my turn. They took me to another room where there was a woman and her camera and she hit record and she said, okay, let's read the scene. So it does happen for theatre as well, but more likely than not for film, I think... I'm not saying that film actors don't act, but I would I would argue that film casting is much more about finding someone as close to the casting as possible. Yeah. Whereas yeah. theatre work is about acting. It's about becoming Macbeth, acting. becoming Hamlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you you have to create the persona, whereas the camera, you know, sees everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. I think film casting, it is more based on your look, whether you like it or not. I'm sorry, it's just a fact. And it's about how close are you to the character that we picture. So yeah, yeah. it arguably it's kind of less pressure. <laughs> it's you don't have yeah. to be up you have to be up all night practicing a Shakespeare speech. You just go in, you read you've still I still would obviously recommend learn the lines. Yeah. It, do Being a as, great actor. <laughs> do them as well as you can. Make bold yeah. choices. Famously, um you know the big ginger guy in Game of Thrones that's a wildling. The amazing. I yeah, love that him. Guy. Yeah, that guy. He's doing like a Viking reality TV show now, by the way. What? Please continue. I, <laughs> On, I, we've, me and my mate have been thinking of auditioning for it, but continue. He. So, what you do be- a lot of the time before you even get called to an audition for a film job is, is a self tape. Don't make a sex joke. <laughs> but yeah. um, a self tape is they send you part of the script, you record yourself doing it first. 
I think yeah. they're great. It means that if you're not in the big city, you don't have to book the day off work and spend 60 quid cool. getting there. It means many. It means more people get to be seen first time round. Arguably, it therefore means more people get disappointed because there's mm. still only one part. Yeah, course, but I, yeah. I like that it's open to more people. I also, as a punter, I love watching those. Because, yeah, like, of, of, well, this of, is my like, point. Your favorite actor, yeah. That actor for Game of Thrones, his cell tape was brilliant. Not told to do this, he started eating a carrot. So he sat there leaning <laughs> forward, just like saying some lines about wildlings. And then he spat it out like, and it was like, that's a bold choice. That is a yeah, brilliant yeah, bold yeah. choice. And I and you absolutely make choices and make yourself interesting. But with film, you gotta you gotta also tick certain boxes before you can get there. And the box doesn't mean that you have to be you know, stick thin and white and blonde with blue eyes and, yeah, and yeah. you know, six for eight. It's about fitting into this image they have in their head because they're going to have to recreate that image as identically as possible. So, yeah, you tend to go in. What is funny is, let's say, let's say I've done my self-tape, I've been called in, okay? And they've sent me the script the day before. Thank you so much. Um, and they go, right, so uh, this person will hit record. This person will read with you and the director will watch. And you go, mm. okay, great, I can do this. And... You're there trying to give the performance of your life. You're like, how could you lie to me? And then the person behind the camera reading with you will be like, it wasn't a lie. Like, no no emotion, That's no eye off. contact. It's not their fucking job to be good. But then you are playing. You might as well be trying to act with a fucking poster. Yeah, Because <laughs> they don't care. Jeez. So, but yeah, you usually you go in, you get recorded, you leave. And, and yeah. then later down the line... Um, you might get called for things like costume checks. They don't necessarily mean you have the job yet, but it's them wanting to see you. What do you look like in this? What do you look like in that? Sometimes, oh yeah, with big movies, I've never had this myself. I don't think. I say I don't think because I did film as a kid and I can't really remember. Anyway, they do, they actually, they genuinely do compatibility recalls. So where they, they bring you in and they pay you up. Who, who plays a convincing couple? Who's got good father-daughter? Oh, right, yeah. Chemistry, basically. Oh, that's what they did with uh, with uh, Harry Potter, isn't it? They Is got it? the three of them together and, uh, and, and, and you can see their auditions for that. I watched um, a special about the making of Dirty Dancing because oh, yeah. I did, judge me not. Why not, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, basically there's a woman who wrote it and therefore produced the film. And it's quite clearly a lot is taken from her life in Dirty Dancing. And she oh, she did kind steamy. of single-handedly pick Patrick Swayze out of a lineup. I want Patrick Swayze. Yeah. I want, I want Patrick yeah. Swayze. I want Patrick Swayze. She No, he wasn't that famous at the time. But she oh, said... Yeah, but look she, at him. <laughs> it cuts to her in interview like, like documentaries do. And she's sat there going, I just remember the first time I saw his eyes. So look, on one hand, he fit the bill. But Whoa. a big part, my point is, a big part of the audition process was they actually narrowed it down to Patrick Swayze and Billy Zane, believe it or not. Um, and I say I say that in such a big way because the film that I did was Billy Zane. He played my dad. Um, so yeah, Patrick Swayze, Billy Zane. And then is it Jennifer? What's her name? One minute. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, dirty Dancing. Cast. So I will edit this in. She's one of the most famous actors ever, man. Yeah, Jennifer Grey. Um, and, and, then other, and then I can't remember who else, but a few females, a few males... And they did screen tests where they got them to dance together and joke around together. And 
the chemistry between Jennifer and Patrick was just insane. You can see it. It's in the thing. And you're like, oh, my God, they look like they've known each other for 10 years. Mm. So you do all sorts of, of different tests that they record and then eventually you get the part. It is a rule mm. nowadays that after a certain amount of calls, they have to start paying you so yeah. that they can't just have endless you yeah, jumping I think through hoops for nothing. Yeah. But, yeah, that's how, that's how it goes. interesting. The looks thing, there's uh, something, an example sprung to mind of, uh, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I utterly love. I've Um, watched it in years. I want to rewatch it. You know the guy who plays Angel, uh, David Boreanaz? Oh, yeah, my brother was obsessed with Angel. Well, he he got the job because he walked past someone on the street walking a dog. I thought, you look like the guy. We haven't found anyone that looks like the guy, but you look like the guy. Can you read well? And he goes, yeah, I can read. I can can do whatever. And basically, they're living in LA, so that's why they're all there, you know? Yeah, LA's a whole different (laughs) thing. So, um, yeah, that's how we got the job. So I I started, I have no problem saying this, I started drama and dance lessons on a Saturday because my brother did and I wanted to be with him. And I I was like, I want to be like my brother. And after a couple of years, my brother kind of got over it and I just didn't, right? And again, you have to remember, there was an agency in that building. After my brother had given up acting, he came to pick me up. He, oh, my mom, God. Mum, go get... My mum's like, Luke, go get your little sister from her class, please. Bring her safely home. Yes, mum, of course. He's in the building for like eight minutes. He gets cast in a film with Julie Walters. That's crazy. Like, what? <laughs> A really good mate who who I've known my whole life, but she also lived in my flat for a while. She was like, Amber, what would you do if I decided to become an actor and I got huge success before you? And I was like, I'll give you a very honest answer. If you quit your job, and she's got a good job. she's She's got a normal job, but she does very well at it and earns good money. I was like, if you quit your job and threw yourself into this wholeheartedly and you got there before me, I would be your biggest cheerleader. I'd be so happy for you and I would, I'd love you forever over it. If, however, you're just walking down the fucking high street and one of the top casting agents in the country puts you in a film with my heroes, I'd slap you in the face yeah. and I'd expect you to understand why. And she just laughed and went, yeah, I would. <laughs> I, know, uh, I know someone who's uh, a Suicide Girls model who like was walking down a street and, was just, and got a modelling contract off it. I mean, yeah, it can happen, but you've, you have got to be wary of it. In fact, yeah. my agent actually recently sent um, like a document round to all of us, like, you know, red flags, red flags. Oh, the yeah. great thing about having an agent is you have someone to watch your back so you don't get scammed. Like if, if someone approaches you out of nowhere, say to them, thanks so much. Um, could you please send all the details to my agent? Here's her email address. Yeah. Because you, you have got to be careful. It happens. It happens. But let's say you are getting genuinely scouted. A, no one will ask you for money up front. We know that. But if you are actually mm. getting scouted, they will have no problem speaking to your agent. They will have no problem speaking to no, your your guardian if you're under 18. In fact, they you know they legally have to. But so Obviously. like if they are legit, don't worry about scaring them off. Yeah. Send say, them to can your I, agent. Yeah. Can I take your details? Can you send it all to this email address? Even if you just say, send it all to my email address. Make them yeah. like show you their their what's the word? Credentials. Who the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically. Man, they're they're a shysters around in music. Oh, left, right, and center. 
You have to trip him up and kick him on the floor. You don't do that. Don't do that, Amber. Jesus, why did you even suggest that? But um, I'm just a cool I had someone who came up to me after a gig. They were kind of mad. They were like, yeah, we could get you on tour with Iron Maiden. And I was just like, what are Lies. you on about? And it's just Lies like, and this fairy is just tales. balls. And um, this person I found out later had been doing the exact same speech with different bands all over the place. Um, and uh, yeah, you just got to be wary of these people. I've had people try and rip rip money off of us. Oh, um, same. same. I've, I, oh, I, I don't even want to go into it. Amber, no, we me neither. Had, it's just depressing. Amber, we have had a heavy episode. We've had so a good far. episode. Should we it's end been great, on some? But it's been heavy. Peeves. Should we do something silly? We've been oh, yes, recording do something for quite silly. a while. Should yeah, we do we something have. silly? Should we do some pet Sometimes. peeves or should we do something silly? What do you want to do? What's your silly idea? I'm curious. I mean, we've got the silly idea that we we mentioned before the the podcast option, but I mean, maybe we could do we, the we could do a, instead. We'll do a mini one. Should we do a mini silly? A, a, okay, a, a, a mini, mini silly. silly? Yeah. What do you do want? I, what, we, okay. Uh, well, we've uh, got uh, the really silly one that you suggested. I I mean, I think we should. I think we should. It makes me so sad that um, me and Cole have actually not seen each other in person since the recording of our first episode. So we've we've had to do everything online. But what can we do? So the for Man. for those of you on the edge of your seat wondering what the fuck we're talking about, our silly ideas are all about um, chatting about ideal band members or ideal castings. And then I told Cole about a game I used to play where we thought of a musical, but we we cast it with the Muppets. Yes, uh, because I love the Muppets, and apparently so does Cole. Because the Muppets are one of the greatest things in the world. I but used it doesn't to watch have the to Muppet be a show all the time. What's no, the story? We, do... we both know really well. Oh, man, we could do a film. We could do a play. We could do, um, uh, man, we could do some. We could do that crappy thing we all did at school, the Inspector Calls. Um, do you remember the Inspector Calls? The Inspector Calls wasn't that, that a program? Yeah. That was that was a play about. Um, I frankly I found it incredibly ham fisted, and it was about class inequality. But since you don't know it, let's not do that. I have How an idea. That? What's something that's really like cheesy and tacky, and will Muppets it like Muppets Titanic? Oh, or one, you know, something I, I, I like that. Seen all the, that. I've not seen Titanic. Or Mission Impossible. Mu- You've Muppets, not seen Titanic. Mission or... Impossible. I haven't not all seen the way Mission through. Impossible. I was a very small child. I haven't seen, Mission, not seen Mission Impossible. No. Jesus. Where? Shit. <laughs> oh my god. We weren't ready. What have we both seen Amber? So, we have given Cole the name of a classic film. Cole now has to cast the Muppets to play the parts in that film. And one character can be played by a human. The characters are as follows. John McClane, Holly McClane, Sergeant Powell, um, Dwayne Robinson. Do you want him involved, Cole? Nah. Okay, no, Dwayne. So we've got, got John McClane, Holly McClane, Sergeant Powell, Hans Gruber, of course, famously played by Alan Rickman, and Klaus. Let's start there. Klaus. Let's start nice and simple. I'm pretty sure. So I'm pretty sure Klaus is the name of the German guy at the end of the film he has the big fight I think with. So. so I'm thinking we've got to have one actor who's the same. And I okay. feel like that should be um that should be Bruce Willis. Even though if Miss Piggy's in it, oh see there should be a romance element. We've talked about that. This is the thing. What That's if you kept thing. Rickman in it? And so we've got an evil Hans Gruber in the way okay. that Muppets Treasure Island had Tim Curry as Long John. 
Okay, that's actually good. Here's a reason why. This is not is my that, first time when, playing this game, Coleridge. When, <laughs> when they wrote Die Hard, when they wrote Die Hard, they wrote the script, and one of the producers was like, "Okay, here's why we need to rewrite the script. You've got to write it from the perspective perspective of Hans Gruber rather than the perspective of John McClane, and that's how, why the film works. All right. So we've got to have Alan Rickman being Alan Rickman. Remember Great. to buy stamps. So then, so, have you, are you going with Kermit yeah. for John? In which case, Kermit is uh, John McClane. And Miss Piggy is Holly McLean, which totally makes sense because Holly McLean is like proper fierce and there's like the spokesman for all those. Yeah, Miss Piggy, and stuff. It totally you could works never, out. she would never sign, Miss Piggy would never sign a contract playing a demure woman. I'm sorry, it just wouldn't happen. Okay. In which case, <laughs> I am going to say, oh, so the other one, the best friends. Yeah. yeah. Are, um, because because they're brothers in the film, the two German guys. So the guy <gasps> who 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 dies is going to be the rat guy. Yes, Gons- Rizzo. Star, who comes down with Rizzo the rat, and he's got the the jumper which I've got somewhere in this room, saying, um, "Now I have a machine gun." Ho ho ho! And he comes down to the bottom of the lift, which means Gonzo at the end. He's the one who has the massive fight with Kermit. That's that's pretty awesome. Oh, okay. you're turning Kermit and Gonzo against each other. Oh, my oh goodness. man, I am. Which means it's that okay, Fozzie man. Bear Drama. Has to be... Okay, okay. <laughs> Fozzie Bear. Fozzie Bear is then Sergeant Powell because Great Fozzie idea. Bear is like is that. I can see that. I can see that. Oh my gosh! I also, can the Swedish chef can it, we can he just be shown in the hotel kitchen at some point in a way that's really Obviously. irrelevant? Obviously, <laughs> he can. Oh my god. Okay, I think that that what, what's the lobster guy? There, there is an angry lobster who's present yeah, in the Treasure Island lobster. one. Yeah. I think that guy should be the drill expert. That what about? Okay, me. that's a good one. What about the two old men? Like, <laughs> can oh, they be no. hostages? Can they, they be hostages? Be shitty hostages. Oh my god, they're the two guys. They are the guy who's doing the cocaine, and he's like, <laughs> um, do you remember that? And then Adam, they're talking to him like, come on, John, I don't say you've just met me tonight. We've known each other for years. And he says, I'm going to shoot this man in the head, Mister McLean. You know, and, and then they go, oh man, that's the best idea. Okay, sorry, you, I feel like you know I took over a bit significant- there. This, no, that's that's great. That's great. This is the communal. This is how it works. Okay, so we've got two more characters that I can think of. We've got two yeah. more characters. We've got one, the really cool young limo driver from the start of the film. Okay. So who is? I think that should be the blue bird guy. The oh, okay, yeah. Because I was thinking he's an eagle. Him. I was thinking yeah, if eagle. we were if we were gonna make Hans Gruber a Muppet, it would have been him. But I like that we've kept it Rickman. So it could be yeah. him. Another one yeah, it could be is Monster. You know, the guy who plays the drums. Oh, my God. Yes. No, that works out way, way better for my <laughs> idea. Because, okay, we've got we've got uh, Animal. We've got Animal. Animal! Animal, animal thank because you. Because he drives into the ambulance towards the end of the film. And he's like, Animal! Animal! And it's great. And then and then there's a fight because he gets out and he punches the driver. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then that leaves one more character who is the annoying, um, like, news guy who has, like betrayed everyone in the film with like the radio stuff and then holly mcclain walks out and goes punches him in the face and that's the eagle and that's, that's the blue eagle guy and yeah. you can so have miss piggy like Hi-ya! exactly exactly <laughs> oh okay miss piggy oh, oh exactly. brilliant dude okay. we've been talking we've for ages that. We, but that well that done film? yes I make please that film. please i think sure i think we, we get can wrap jim it up henson now. on the phone yeah, let's um, do it Let's do a quick pet peeve, but literally say it, it. two minutes Tell each. Tell me your pet peeve, yo. My pet peeve is when actors and theatre makers 
take it all a bit too seriously trying to get followers online. And they do the thing where they put on a Facebook group, hey guys, follow my Instagram, I'll follow you back. Now, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with filling my Instagram with people trying to kind of get some followings in in my industry and I can see their work. What I have a problem with is when you do that and then a week later unfollow someone just so that you get to feel like a big shot and feel like you've got loads of followers. Because I do think that Instagram's algorithm, it does track your people following you versus the people that you're following to create a sense of celebrity. But you don't need to do that. No one actually cares, okay? If you need to do that, it's a sign that you're not successful. Boom. There, I said it. That's my pet peeve. What's yours? Straight up. My pet peeve is when people get funny about bands when they change their sound a little bit just because they want to creatively grow. I've had that debate with someone. I... I actually, I think it's, a, do you know what? There's there's bands where my favourite album is still their first, like, one or two albums, right? And they do something different on the next album, and maybe it's good in a different way. Maybe it's not my favourite album, but maybe it's still awesome in a different way. Prime example, uh, I love, uh, I've got loads of examples. Uh, Frank Carr and the Rattlesnakes, they started out way heavier, and now they're doing some slightly more, kind of, not poppy exactly, but almost poppy sure. songs. But they're yeah. great songs. They're amazing songs. Love them. Uh, also, Iron Maiden. Can- had that as well. Also, you can weird. like a musician without liking every single album. I won't say exactly. who because I don't want to slag an album off, but I had someone where had every single album. An album came out. I was like, didn't like that one. The next album came out, became my favourite one. Yeah. The yeah. individual was growing and going through some stuff. And yeah, I totally Muse. agree. Take Muse. Muse changed their sound a lot, but they have yeah, some blooming great songs. And to be honest, all their albums have some awesome songs. It's just like, And all their albums have change. like... And they have an atmosphere, like it all works together as an album. Yeah, exactly. It's and that's the important thing. The other ones that all their albums, they you you could think some albums are different artists is the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah. They mm. they vary so much. There we go. Yeah, the creatively grow, babe. I mean, <laughs> you creatively grow people, to be fair, all day long. Some bands, some bands I love it, like ACDC or Motorhead or something or, or yeah. whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, but... Um, this, you gotta let people grow, man. Let people be. They gotta let do what they gotta grow. do. Me, 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 me. I was just being weaker oh, for no reason. Are you being me, me? Yeah. I didn't even hear that. You disappeared for a moment. I just hear. Me, It'll be on my beaker. side. Me, 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 me. Beaker. Beaker. <laughs> it's me, Professor. Oh, I love this new game. This is gonna become oh, a thing. Oh man, we've uh, got a beaker and Professor Honeydew in the next episode. Uh, right. Shall I sign us off? I think you should. To all our listeners, thank you so much. That is the end of another episode. This week we have been discussing getting the gig. Uh, my name is Amber Sava. My name is Cole Bryan. And if you have any wonderful questions for us, please contact us on riffsandscripts at gmail.com and we promise we shall respond to your questions. We're going to do an episode um, further down the line once a few of these have launched where we um, go through a lot of questions and emails and stuff. Until then... Have a good week. We will see you soon. TTFN. Bye. That's good enough. We were close enough to each other that we can line that up. That was radically separate, but that's fine. (laughs) Maybe you have more of a delay than me. Maybe. Maybe maybe we both have an equal delay and then it was very confusing. Hello, ladies and gents. You're listening to Riffs.